0: Thank you, Amy, for that reminder of just who Jesus is. Today we're going to continue our look in 1 Corinthians chapter 10. You'll find the text in your notes, but you can also be welcome to turn to that place in your Bible. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 23. This morning we're just going to dive in. I had a professor once who was fond of saying that students don't remember what you teach them. They remember what you repeat to them. And as we have walked through 1 Corinthians, I think that the Apostle Paul, who wrote this letter, understood that principle as a teacher. He has been repeating an idea throughout this section that we started several weeks back in 1 Corinthians chapter 8 that he now will bring to his conclusion and so I just want to uh, read uh, this main idea that Paul drives to and then I'm gonna read and I want you to listen to me uh, read the last part his his conclusion to this section verse 24 here's the big idea that he's been repeating throughout this section no one should seek his own good but the good of the other person and then skipping down to verse 31 therefore Whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do everything for God's glory. Give no offense to the Jews or the Greeks or the church of God, just as I also try to please all people in all things, not seeking my own profit, but the profit of many, so that they may be saved. Imitate me as I also imitate Christ. Paul's big idea that we are to seek the good of others is one that he has been teaching throughout this section, applying to the special issues that this church had been facing. But we know as we look at the rest of the writings of Paul in the New Testament that this was not an idea that he only would focus on for this church. If you look in Romans chapter 15, you see him uh, making the same point to that church in Rome, that they are to seek the good of others. The same thing shows up in the letter to the Church of Galatia in Galatians chapter 6, verses 2. And you'll hear it very poignantly in Philippians chapter 2. And I want you to hear how he says it in that little letter there. Philippians chapter 2, verses 1 through 4. He said to that church, and put it this way, If then there is any encouragement in Christ, if any consolation of love, if any fellowship with the Spirit, if any affection and mercy... Fulfill my joy by thinking the same way, having the same love, sharing the same feelings, focusing on one goal. Do nothing out of rivalry or conceit, but in humility consider others as more important than yourselves. And then here he states it again everyone should look out not only for his own interests, but also for the interests of others. It's a thought repeated over and over again in the New Testament, particularly in Paul's writings. And where did it come from? Well, if you've been around church and you have heard this story of Jesus, you might have heard something that Jesus said. Do you remember when he was asked what the greatest commandment was? And he would respond by saying, First, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. But do you remember what he said the second greatest commandment was? You can talk back. You remember. What is it? Love your neighbor as yourself, right? Uh, This was not Paul's idea, but rather Jesus was the one who emphasized that. He was saying that the way to live a life that honors God, that brings glory to God, is to seek the good of others. Paul is emphasizing that throughout this section. Now we're going to skip over the specific final case studies that he talks about here in this section, you'll see printed in your notes, uh, having to do again with the meat sacrifice to idols. And we've talked about that in the last several weeks. So we're just going to jump into his summary statement to see uh, where he lands as he uh, drives home this final point that we are to seek the good of others. And he does so by laying out what I think we can think about together today as the top three priorities for people who want to follow Jesus and live holy lives in an unholy land. That's what this whole section has been about. And now we come to his conclusion. And he lays out in the verses that I read to you three priorities. Let me read the first part again, and you can see this first priority, that we are to to seek the glory of God Verse 31 Therefore whether you eat or drink Or whatever you do Do everything for God's glory When Paul is going to say Here's the top priority For living a holy life in a holy land He says the top priority Is the glory of God Now what does that, what does that mean? How does that get us to uh, Seeking the good of others? Well uh, think about it this way it is as it is if to say that when we say we're to seek the glory of God, it's to remember that God is the main character of this story that we are all a part of. We are all a supporting actors, if you will, in this main plot that God has been crafting with himself as the center. And if he is the center, then, then all of our lives ought to orient first around him. He's the one who ought to be the one who dominates our thinking and our attention. Um, maybe you're a theater kind of person. So I had to learn, this is not sort of my, uh, my experience, so I had to learn the hard way how theater is supposed to work. Uh, when I was in college, I had a good friend who landed a role in in one of the operas that was playing in Houston and so uh, my friends and I decided that we were we loved our friend Craig and we were gonna support him and so we all bought tickets to this opera uh, we we had none, I had never been to one but I thought you know I love Craig and I'm gonna support him and so uh, we showed up we had the seats in the little places on the balcony uh, that are look that look kinda of fancy and special on the side and so we thought we were uh, we were in the big time uh, in our special little box seating area and the opera began. Now my friend had not mentioned to me that the opera was in German and I don't know about you but my German is not very good and so the opera began and after at least a minute and a half I was not only lost but I was bored and I thought okay well I've got to figure out some way to, uh, to make this worthwhile so I thought well I'm gonna wait till I see Craig come on the stage And when Craig comes on the stage, I'm going to make sure he knows that we're here to support him. (laughs) Some of y'all have been to the opera. Uh, So sure enough, after what seemed like an eternity, uh, my friend finally came out. He was obviously not a main character. He came out dressed as a soldier or something, I don't know. And and I finally spotted him on the stage. And so I jumped up in my seat and I said, Woo, Craig! Yeah, man! Yeah, man! Now, if you don't know opera, you just need to know that there's some rules to watching opera that they don't put on the brochure when you show up. And one of them is you're not supposed to hoot and holler for your friends when they come on stage. The guys who were with me, they knew the rules, but they had neglected to inform me of the rules. And so when I jumped up and started hooping and hollering and people started to whisper and say probably nasty things about me, uh, they grabbed me by my shirt and pulled me back down in my chair. And I was then instructed in very uncertain terms that I was never to speak again. (laughs) Well, for those of you who know that scene, you know that when the players are on stage, all attention is supposed to be on them. And, and the, the point is not the individual actors. It's not like a football game where you celebrate when uh, your guy goes out on the field. The point is not about the individual actors. It's about the overall performance and experiencing the whole thing. And so each individual player is supposed to uh, to sort of submit themselves to this greater idea, this greater goal of seeing the grand story play out. And so uh, my friend Craig knew his role. He wasn't supposed to be the one getting the praise and the glory, and he didn't, it wasn't Bothered by that fact until I started hollering out at him. Then that sort of bothers him. Well, here's the way this looks. When we talk about saying, "Okay, look, the, the top priority, if we're gonna if we're gonna follow Christ and live a life that reflects His life." here in this world, that is increasingly ignorant. Uh, not Not just that they don't care about Jesus, they're just ignorant about him. They don't know him. They don't know what his values are. They don't know what his life is like. But if we are to live lives that reflect him, then we must take on as our first priority to seek the glory of God. And that means that we step aside from the center stage. And we begin to understand ourselves not as the main character in this drama that is our lives. You are not the main character of your life. God is. The Apostle Paul understood this. He'd experienced this in his own a personal life. And he'd had his life interrupted. He was going on his way. He was pursuing his own agenda. He was advancing his career. And then he met Jesus Christ. And he understood. Oh, this isn't about me. It's not about what I want. It's not even about what I need. It's about about God's plan to accomplish God's purposes through God's Son, Jesus Christ. And so, this first priority for us as we Think about what we've been learning over these last several weeks about living holy lives in the unholy land. So we've got to understand that we're not the main character of our own lives. We're not the main character. But God is. And so as we orient ourselves to his glory and his honor and his fame, all the other values and priorities of our lives sort of shape out differently especially when it relates to other people. And that's why Paul will say first, we're to live to everything for God's glory, but then second, he goes on to say that we are to, to be concerned for the people of God. Verse 32, give no offense to the Jews or the Greeks or the church of God. What he just said here is that we are to look out for the good of others and not just those in our own tribe. Not just those who look and talk and act like us. We're to look out for the good of those who are different from us. And and, and it would have been interesting if he had just said, uh, give no offense to the Jews or the Greeks. But he goes on to say, or to the church of God. You see, he's not just saying that our concern is supposed to be so radically others-oriented that we're concerned about other people in God's family, the church. He says our concern for others is supposed to be so radically oriented that we're even concerned for those outside of God's family, those who have no interest in Jesus or his way of life. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, who was a pastor in theologian in the the time of World War II. In fact, he would would die in a Nazi concentration camp. He would write about this, and he would say, look, the, the way of life that we're supposed to live, the lifestyle that we are to be after, is what he called a Christomorphic pattern. It's a big fancy way of saying that our lives are supposed to be so radically oriented to the glory of God, They take on a Jesus shape. That's why we talk about our purpose around here is learning to joyfully live and lead others to a Jesus shaped life. Because if God's glory is our first concern, then our second concern will be the good of others. But how is that possible? When I mean, We all know that our natural instinct is to look out for our own good, for our own family, for those who are friends, those who, uh, who we consider to be on our team. How is it possible that we would, would have this kind of reshaping, that we could look out for the good of those who are not on our team, even for those who are our enemies? How is that possible? Well, it's not, aside from what we've been talking about throughout this whole study of First Corinthians. And that is that at the very center of our understanding of God's glory is the cross of Jesus Christ. And here's what I mean if if you are not so fully convinced that what Jesus did on the cross and dying in your place, For your sins and then raising from the dead and pouring out his spirit on you if you are not so fully convinced that that is enough for you then you will not be free to sacrifice for others until you are sure and confident that in Jesus God has given you everything you need then your tendency is gonna to be to seek what you think you need at whatever expense to others. But the opposite is supposed to be true of us. Because we know what Christ has done, what he has accomplished for us, and the benefits that overflow to us as adopted children of God, then we don't have to demand our own way. We don't have to demand our own good. We don't have to take from others. We're free to give because God has given so freely to us. That's why he, as he's wrapping up this section, the Apostle Paul says, first, it's about the glory of God, and then second, it's about the people of God. But he points to a third priority, the priority of the mission of God. Verse 33. Just as I also try to please all people in all things, not seeking my own profit, but the profit of many, so that they may be saved. You see, the mission of God is not to make mean people nice, it's to make dead people alive. It's to take slaves and redeem them. It's to take people trapped in selfishness and self-centeredness because all they know is trying to take care of themselves and then to open their eyes to see that in Christ, God has taken care of all of their needs, that they can trust him. And in so doing, he doesn't just make them nice, he makes them new that is the mission of God and it is the mission of God's people to live out this kind of life shaped by the glory of God and the good of others and the mission of God in this city and around the world and the call for everyone who names the name Jesus and claims to be a follower of him the call the expectation the requirement the reality is that we would not just imitate the first two priorities, or even the first one, but that we would completely imitate the life of Christ in all three of these priorities. In this last little verse, Paul says, imitate me as I also imitate Christ. He knew that these people, just like us, were gonna need examples They were going to need real human beings with flesh and blood to to see what a life shaped by Jesus would mean and look like. And we, too, need those kinds of examples. Because here's the the bad news. Let me share the bad news first. According to the Billy Graham Center for Evangelism, there are 80% of people who are unchurched are very willing and open to having a conversation about faith with their friends. But only 32% of those who call themselves Christians have talked with somebody about Jesus and about their relationship with him in the last six months. See, the, the church of God, a people of God imitating Christ will not just say I'm living for God's glory and and come and worship and and do things to honor God. They they won't just say I'm living for God's glory and I'm, I'm living for the good of others. I'm gonna serve others and I'm gonna help them and take care of them. No, the people who are completely, fully imitating the life of Christ can't help but talk about what Christ has done. Can't help but share about his benefits about his cleansing power over sin, about his reorienting purpose for life. So the question that we all have to face, if you claim to be a follower of Jesus, is are you a partial follower or a complete follower? Amen. Because we are called to completely imitate this life of Christ. Now the good news is around here, there's lots of good examples There's lots of examples of uh, people who are orienting their life to fully imitate Christ. We've got a team of folks, some of you who are here in the room, or just got back from a week and a half over in Spain. And our church has partnered with, uh, with this church in Spain to, to plant five new churches over five years. Three of those new house churches are up and running, and uh, we're hoping to see a fourth one come soon. We're excited about the prospect of, of seeing that goal come to completion of five new churches on the other side of the world, people that most of us will never see or meet, but we are sacrificing and serving and giving because we want them to meet Jesus. Jesus. This week, a group of our kids, 5th and 6th graders, spent a week in in the Fort Worth area leading Bible clubs for kids. This is kids leading other kids to know who Jesus is and what he's doing. And so one of the examples that we have doesn't come from other adults. It comes from 5th and 6th graders, y'all, who are willing to say, I'm scared and I don't really know what this means. I'm not sure what to do but I believe Jesus has told me to share, and so I'm going to try. And they did, and they did. So why can't you? And as we get ready for this school year, all around this room, there are those of you who will be heading into not just Waco ISD, but Connolly High School and La Vega Middle School and the Methodist Children's Home. We have mentors who are, who are serving all across this community, but specifically in Waco ISD. Uh, uh, Brook Avenue, there's four different middle schools that mentors will be at, two of the high schools. Uh, This church, y'all, you have been a people who, there are examples all around you of folks who have said, I'm ready to give my life away for the glory of God and the good of others. And so each of us, let's ask and answer the question, am I living a life completely imitating the life of Jesus by his grace and his power resting in what he has done for me when I fail to do so, but every day waking up and saying, Jesus, today, how is my life to be like yours? Today, what would be your mission at work in my life? Today, who do I need to share with about your transforming power? God has called us the people of Columbus Avenue, but people of faith across this city. To be a people who imitate the life of Christ so that our city would not just see a light, but through the influence of Christians across this city, our city would begin to itself take on a Jesus-shaped life. That our city would learn whether they care about Jesus or not, They would learn the principle to love your neighbor as themselves. And in so doing, God would bring glory to himself. And by his grace, may he do it through us. Let's pray. Father, we know that you have been working in this place for longer than any of us have been alive. We know that you have been orchestrating your purposes to accomplish your glory. We know that in Jesus you have given us all that we need for life and for godliness and to accomplish the mission you have called us to, to be your ambassadors in this community and around the world. We know this to be true. And so, Father, we first confess the places where we've failed. We confess and we've lived for ourselves and our own glory instead of for you and yours. We confess where we've been satisfied to imitate you partially. And today, we commit ourselves anew to fully imitate your Son, Jesus. And we ask that you would transform us, make us like your son Jesus, and then would you use us for your great glory and the good of others. We surrender ourselves to you as best we know how, and we ask now glorify yourself in us. We pray this in the strong and good name of Jesus, our Savior. Amen.